Welcome to This Week Next Week. I'm Kate Scott Dawkins. I love that intro. I love the wind up. It's Brian Weezer here. That, that's the way you, That's the way this should happen. Uh, and we're here uh, at Group M to talk about uh, the news this week and, and what we're looking forward to next week. The news that I'm leaving? Well, I'm not looking forward to that part. Oh, okay. Well, but that that is kind of well. It's not news, I guess. We know this already. Um, yeah, there's a lot of news to talk to for this uh, final episode of this uh, version of uh, this week next week. Um, which uh, which things stood out to you? Should we start with the uh, the economy? I hear it's uh, doing terribly, and I hear that uh, boy, it must be just a, such a disaster in the fourth quarter. Uh, what was it? Uh, well, in the U.S., annualized 2.9% uh, growth for the fourth quarter. And uh, in nominal terms, 7.3% with 7.6% year-over-year uh, PCE, personal consumption expenditure growth. You know, the thing that stood out to me from this data um, is if you uh, look at the uh, multi-year periods of time, uh, 2022 was better than many years in the 2010s. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think any, I think this too about, I mean, we, we can talk about the company results later, but luxury growth, say on top of 2021, growth on top of 2021 figures is just, the like, growth of any level is astounding given how crazy 2021 was. I know, it's just, and, and this is the thing, like there is still so much economic activity and the, the models that most economists have been using, which I, as far as I can tell, most of them are based on a flawed assumption that all downturns looked alike. Mm. Yeah, I found this really interesting. I went down a rabbit hole. I was reading something uh, from Axios talking about, you know, typically construction jobs go down in high interest rate periods you know, because mortgages increase and all the rest of it. Um, but in this case, over the last uh, year, construction jobs have, or employment has continued adding jobs, um, which, yeah, it's uh, another sign. I know we've harped on this point, but I, I, it, you know, you go back to the beginning of this podcast and we were talking about how, you know, clearly there's a lot that was unsustainable, but at the same time, there are so many conditions that were favorable for, um, you know, economic conditions or, or really advertising. But what I don't think we fully anticipated was how much the industry would talk itself into an advertising downturn for November and December, if nothing else. Maybe they're all uh, souffle chefs or, or quiche chefs and they're buying eggs every day. True, true. But we will uh, um, <laughs> go ahead. No, no, it is. No, I joke, but uh, certainly things are, are still in real terms. Um, you know, depending on the market as well, flat or decline as we'll hear later in an interview with uh, James McDonald from work. So um, variations across markets, but I think in general, more resilience. Yeah, I, and I think it's important to note, we won't really know what happened in the uh, fourth quarter and nobody really knows until we hear from Google, Amazon, Meta, which happens next week. Um, but since we won't be here, um, you dear listeners are just gonna have to figure that out for yourselves, right? Um, in the meantime, we can point to uh, what we did see in the past week. Uh, Microsoft, Comcast, Charter, Deco, what was big for you? Yeah, I mean, Comcast, certainly uh, the pay TV story as much as we've been saying, and, and this is true not just across Comcast, but also uh, Dish and, and Slang as well. 
um, subscriber losses, uh, and then the some of the programming costs per subscriber growing faster than revenue per subscriber. So um, that's a bit upside down uh, to watch out for. Yeah, but the continuing, um, you know, high single digit probably uh, decline in pay TV is something that's you know not surprising given what we've seen so far in the year. But um, uh, just a reminder, as Kate wrote in the last this uh, year, next year, um, we're getting closer to that day where pay TV is only fifty percent penetration in the U.S. Yeah. The advertising numbers, though, I thought back at Comcast were kind of um, were interesting. Um, there and at Charter. The uh, 4Q local numbers were, uh, you know, not that terrible. Uh, frankly, <laughs> they were um, when you consider how much, uh, you know, political advertising really takes out a lot of available inventory. You know, they attempt to make a, a like for like uh, number, but at all, any fourth quarter of a political year, you're going to see a, a, a weak X political number just because of that inventory uh, drag. Charter was down 3.4% um, on their. Uh, you know, on a like-for-like -like basis, um, Comcast, uh, their local uh, advertising business was uh, down 5.6. Actually, no, that was national, down 1.6 at the local level. Yeah, it is. I mean, per our our points, the the political um, revenue is, is substantial, especially on the local TV, and that was clear from the the earnings results there. Well, also charters number there. So I said they're you know they're down three point four percent ex political, but they're up twenty four point six including political. So yeah, kind of uh, there were some interesting comments too related to the FIFA World Cup and the impacts that had on revenue. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and at the uh, at the national level, I mean their business uh, grew by um, well of. Four percent, I guess, um, uh, including what they said, two hundred sixty-three million from World Cup. Uh, but one thing that I've never um, gotten comfortable with was the idea that uh, World Cup is actually incremental. Meaning, you know, if you went back to the nineteen eighties and nineties, you could see pretty clearly how Olympic advertising was incremental. If you look today, you can see pretty clearly how political advertising is incremental. It's just a bump for you know for the industry. Uh, when it happens but when you look around the world and you look at uh world cup i'm not entirely persuaded that world cup doesn't get funded from regular budgets yeah and i think that's uh what's going to be interesting although it was called out in a number of different i mean the the sky business called it out as well um in terms of they didn't hold their rights and called it out as a um a drag on on the quarter so well, to point it's a there's a share shift that occurs and so yes it, yeah without ruling out that it absolutely impacts individual media owners just like the olympics now yes. where of course whoever's the olympics rights holder will see a huge audience share shift but the total market doesn't change yeah and i think you, you mentioned the the figure 263 million for comcast uh which is you know not quite as much as they would see from the last uh, Super Bowl and, you know, roughly maybe half of a Winter Olympics and only a quarter of a Summer Olympics in terms of the revenue bump. True. Now, they said that excluding World Cup, uh, they said that at the uh, on the NBCU side, ad revenue declined 5.6%. Um, now, and they talked about softening of the overall ad market and they talk about it, well, probably bottomed. It was their characterization. But if we look to, let's say, Microsoft, 
Mm. If we look at their search and use business on a constant currency basis and exclude Xander, we get 9% growth on a comparably sized business. Yeah, I know the, the Microsoft uh, results were really interesting, although they also talked about uh, softening advertising, especially as it related to the LinkedIn uh, marketing solutions business. True, but I think where we're coming out is still is that digital advertising will end up in the fourth quarter probably at a pretty high single digit growth rate because we're still going to see a lot of growth from retail media when we see Amazon's numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter in a sense what, what Meta does because we know that TikTok is probably growing at a pace that more than outpaces whatever their decline is in absolute terms. Yeah, yeah, I know. And we'll, as you said, the the startup, you know, when we get the uh, the heavyweight <laughs> numbers from Meta and Alphabet, uh, we'll have a much better picture of the, the total digital size and, and scope. Yeah. One other non uh, heavyweight inside of uh, outdoor advertising, JCD mm. Co., uh, also worth noting, outdoor advertising, 5.1% growth. Now, still uh, in many markets, you know, there's still a recovery uh, because of the pandemic. But I mean, let's just remember that when we hear the negativity of advertising, it's concentrated in a sense. Um, anyone who's super dependent on venture funded capital. Uh, is going to be hurt. Uh, certainly, television is going to be, you know, seems like softish uh, is a good way to characterize it. But digital, in particular, out of home, certainly are sources of growth for advertising right now. And let's remember again, in real terms, though, five percent when we're expecting, or when we, you know, in a world of eight percent or so inflation globally, is is still real decline in real oh, for terms. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, although I think it gets really interesting because now we get to a world of 2023 where, uh, you know, advertisers certainly uh, tightening belts is maybe uh, uh, too strong a word to characterize it. I mean, we'll see when we get a, a full array of, um, of packaged goods and other advertisers talking about what they're going to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're seeing revenue growth that is driven by inflation. And we know that most marketers tend to budget for advertising as a percentage of revenue. So, you know, even if uh, total advertising ended up in a call it as we forecast 5% or so growth for the year, mm -hmm. um, inflation around the same, I mean, it's just not terrible, which is, isn't that the core theme that we've been pointing out? Things aren't terrible. Well, it's a good segue into some of the advertisers that recorded uh, this week. So we can talk about uh, several there, including LVMH, uh, Kimberly Clark, Colgate Palmolive, LVMH kept uh, the growth going. I mean, luxury, as you pointed out earlier, is um, still doing really well. Yeah, 17% uh, globally on an organic growth basis. I mean, and this is the thing, you know, when we look at what the, the some of the bigger consumer trends are, on the lower income side of the population, jobs have been plentiful, wages have been rising, there's more disposable income, presumably on a relative basis at least. On the higher end, we certainly have plenty of very wealthy people out there still spending and that's all helpful, I guess. Yeah. I mean, employment certainly, uh, I think is a, a key metric that we'll continue to watch very closely as this year goes on. I do, you know, we're certainly hearing about the, um, potentially, you know, lower income groups shifting to essentials and away from discretionary purposes, purchases. I think that's a very real thing. And I think if we look at the 
savings that people have accumulated, that's declined considerably from uh, where it was in that sort of immediate during the pandemic or immediately like post pandemic. And so I think what we're, you know, potentially seeing is a much shorter runway. Things are okay as long as the employment rate continues or the unemployment rate stays low. Um, but I think we'd, we'd see a, sh a sharper or quicker um, impact uh, if we start, started to see um, some of that, you know, employment security drop substantially in markets. Yep, I, I totally agree. And But so far, still very favorable on that front, at least for now. So um, any other um, nuggets that you picked up from uh, various earnings? Well, I mean, again, if we're talking about advertisers and their outlook for the coming year, um, you know, LVMH was talking about continuing to invest in the brands and the business. Um, you know, marketing and selling expenses for the year were up 26%, uh, roughly in line with revenue growth uh, at a, as, an, as a reported basis, a bit above in terms of you're looking at organic growth. Um, and, you know, talking about continuing to invest in the year ahead, Kimberly Clark. Uh, so they're expecting to increase advertising expense in 2023. Uh, again, if we're still looking at um, slightly uh, raised inflation, that could you know, just be as a, a inflation boosted number. But again, not hearing you know, drastic uh, declines in that expense. Yeah, nothing inconsistent with what we've, uh, what, which you really put out in the December version of this year next year. So should we uh, very excited to get to our interview uh, with James McDonald at work. Let's hear it. Well, Brian, I actually, I don't think I could be more excited than I am to welcome our guest this week. I mean, our guest is the very, very, very exciting James McDonald. Yes, he is a uh, director of data intelligence and forecasting at work. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be in your company. Uh, so let's just start off, tell our, our listeners a little bit about Wark and what it is that you do there. Sure. So um, Wark, we are the experts in advertising effectiveness. Um, and our mission is to save the world from ineffective marketing. Uh, we've been doing this for 40 years now. And the way we go about this is by publishing best practice pieces, uh, insight. We run awards. Um, we constantly want to show our clients what good looks like um, and my role within that is to ensure that all of the data that is used to generate insight and to advise clients is of the highest possible caliber um, and I know that I'm in good company um, as you two share that, that that aspiration also so data um, is leveraged in a number of ways in the war platform my background is in media uh, so I used to work as a TV analyst in LA before I uh, before I joined Walk in London. Um, so uh, media in particular is a is a passion project of mine, ensuring that the way that that market um, is measured is 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 really um, of the highest standard, um, both in terms of investment, but also viewership um, and uh, cost uh, costs as well at a CPM basis. Um, but we also do different uh, things beyond media at Walk. So increasingly, uh, we are publishing more data pertaining to digital commerce. Um, Walk is owned by a company called Essential, and within the Essential family, there are a lot of um, great companies that are measuring, are very active in the e-commerce retail media space, so measuring e-commerce spend, um, measuring sales dynamics, um, all of this stuff. So Walk is privy to that information, and, and we package it for, for clients advertising um, in that space. And then finally, um, we also activate um, a lot of data around creative effectiveness. So we look at award wins um, along major um, 
major award ceremonies. Uh, Walk is a sister brand of Lions, for example, so we get good access there. And what that enables us to do is um, identify uh, commonalities and trends within um, high-performing campaigns that our clients can then learn from and apply to their own practices. Excellent. That that certainly would keep you busy. Keep anyone busy. <laughs> Well, let's let's go back to uh, maybe where you and I certainly started interacting, and, and where now you and Kate will be uh, interacting a whole bunch. You are effectively the a data set of truth uh, for the United Kingdom uh, when it comes to advertising. You work closely with the Advertising Association there, the A, and and collect data on um, what actual advertising. Can you tell us a bit about some of that historical data that you gather. Sure, it, it's. Um... Um, it's a real privilege of mine to be working on that data set. So Walk has been monitoring UK advertising spend uh, since the 60s. Um, I have just out of shot, you won't be able to see, but I have um, print editions of all the publications that we've published since the 60s just on my wall here. Um, the methodology that we adopt for the UK is, we believe, unique. So we work directly with media owners um, and publishers. An example of that, um, Walk has maintained a survey of national news brands um, each quarter since 1982 and we have a 100% participation rate in that uh, in that survey so every national news brand sends their revenue data over to us every three months and we collate that to allow for um, a very accurate industry total now i don't need to explain to you why it's important to have an accurate industry total because obviously for benchmarking purposes in general actually industry i think you do need to explain because <laughs> one thing, here's here's why one thing that i find a a, a shocking lack of care uh, across the industry broadly is a lack of appreciation for history mm -hmm. and i say this you know as you know i i replaced someone who started another agency in 1948 once and the history is so important because we can see where current things happen in the past and we get lessons and we can better anticipate the future when we study the his history. So if I may, it's just, we do need to explain because I don't think enough people appreciate that studying history helps us explain the future better. Well, it's always great to meet another history buff, um, but I think it, it's crucial to have a, a rich um, back data to draw from uh, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's interesting um, the more you look uh, Historically, the more you realize how cyclical events can be in our industry, um, the, the names and the technology may change, but actually the trends, the underlying trends are, are, are by and large the same. Um, and, and this can really help us to understand the future um, as analysts, but also increasingly as we adopt more AI and machine learning in our forecasting, for example, um, having a rich, uh, rich tapestry to, to build that picture from uh, really, really does help sharpen up our understanding of the future. Um, so it can benefit in a number of ways. I think this is so interesting. And, and let's get into uh, some data you just released uh, this week on the UK. And I, I think maybe surprising to some the resilience, but again, not if you're looking regularly at historical comparisons and noticing that, um, you know, this pre-recessionary period doesn't look like uh, the most recent recessions of the past. And so we actually shouldn't draw upon those most recent, you know, the, the great financial crisis as an example for what's happening today, because it isn't an exact uh, corollary analog. Um, so tell us a little bit about the, the recent data you released this week uh, and, and what it's telling you about the UK. Yeah, so, so if it is a recession that we're heading into, then it's definitely an odd-shaped recession. Employment is quite high, people are still spending, and yet um, macroeconomic data are ticking downwards. So 
Um, it, it's the shape is different to anything we've seen before on the UK uh, figures specifically. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we collect in data directly from publishers, media owners, and their industry bodies. So there's kind of a three-month lag between publication um, of actuals um, versus our forecast. So the latest period we were looking at was Q3 in the UK, um, which was uh, a very interesting one, uh, not least because um, the UK hosted the uh, the Women's Euros tournament, um, which was a great success and, uh, and definitely lifted out, outdoor as well as um, gave a bit of a, a fillip to the TV market. Um, so, so uh, an interesting period, um, but what we saw um, was that growth uh, had been cooling since the second uh, quarter. Interestingly, um, mostly in the social media market. So, social media growing at about four percent in Q2 and Q3. Um, we expected that to have picked up in Q4, um, but the golden quarter last year, which on paper should have been a, a bonanza, really. You know, you had the, the the men's World Cup that had been postponed to the fourth quarter, as well as the general, um, you know, ad advertising uh, uplift that you would see in that quarter. Um, but it was relatively muted, we believe, and 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 ultimately that levelled out at about nine uh, percent growth in the UK ad market for the year as a whole. Now, like, at face value, that that sounds very healthy indeed. Um, and by, even by historic standards, that is very healthy indeed. Um, but when we conducted this round of analysis, we also looked at that growth in real terms, so stripping inflation out of the figure. Um, and what that actually showed is that in real terms, the ad market was flat last year. Indeed, it, it decreased by 0 0.1 percentage points. So a lot of that 9% growth could be regarded as advertisers keeping up with cost inflation, right? Um, yeah. And a similar picture for the year ahead as well. So we're actually expecting um, on a nominal basis uh, growth to slow to about 4%, but in real terms that would equate to a 3% decline. So I think that speaks quite well to the pressures that advertisers as well as consumers are feeling on the ground, even though, um, you know, there's a, it's not necessarily boosterism, but the, 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 the top line numbers in the ad market are generally quite positive. But the underlying uh, feeling on the ground is that actually things are difficult and becoming increasingly more difficult. And I, I think that goes some way to explaining that trend. Yeah. One thing we've seen, uh, certainly looking at markets like the US, the UK, and, and several other large markets, uh, is is a real decoupling uh, between economic activity and advertising over the past decade in particular. Now, um, we we certainly have used uh, uh, many, your numbers as a, a key inputs, but we've also uh, made a lot of adjustments to uh, make our own estimates because, um, you know, we just have a slightly different views when it comes to some of the digital numbers. Um, but I, I don't think that in in uh, in the general sense we're we're that different. Um, but the thing that has stood out to us is that when you look at the biggest markets, the UK and US in particular, that the degree to which digital advertising has driven so much extra growth above and beyond what economic activity would have predicted, there seemed to be a real decoupling. We have theories about why that is, Chinese advertisers advertising abroad, venture-funded businesses, um, you know, the, the rise of self-service advertising for small businesses. But is this something you've studied? Do you have a view about why that extra cyclicality has happened? And, and do you think that that continues, persists, or did you get a reversion back to economic-driven growth in the future? We are seeing the same trend that particularly online growth has outpaced uh, GDP. Um, well ahead of the usual uh, ratio that you would expect between between the advertising market and the uh, and, and the wider economy. Um, 
uh, Wolf Media editor Alex Brownfield wrote a very good piece on this recently about how um, internet has recently reached, or online companies have recently reached the uh, the top of the F curve, effectively. Um, all of that uh, lightning quick growth um, was bound to stall at some point. Now, there are structural reasons for that, I believe, and there are also short-term reasons for that. I don't think um, you can understate the impact of Apple's privacy measures um, in the in the kind of recent um, recent past, the impact that it's had on, on third-party data and, and ad, ad bidding with, with third-party data. Um, and then also some disruptors in the space. You know, we, we know that retail media is, is probably the next frontier in our world. Um, um, and, and Group M has, has, has done a superb job of, of siding, siding that um, market up and, and, and showing how it will look in the future. So I think that is, has uh, upset the natural order to a degree as well. Um, and so it could be that there's an element of, of transitioning from, um, I think it'd be wrong to call meta the old guard, obviously, but, you know, from, from one superpower to another, perhaps. So um, it could be a market readjusting itself, but I, I think the, uh, the level of... Um, extreme growth that we had seen in recent years was, was frankly unsustainable. Um, and I think you're starting to see that now with, with layoffs at tech companies, you know, that there, there may be an element where the tech companies themselves are, are, are kind of having to hold their hands up and say, look, we, 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 we grew too fast for our ambitions, out, outgrew our, our, our actualities in a sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, if you were going, if you were thinking that the the twenty twenty one growth rates were going to be sustainable, that was uh, was not mm-hmm. not likely. Um, but I think the other thing that I don't I don't hear enough, I guess, is that that's exactly what interest rate hikes are supposed to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that we should expect this. They're supposed to calm investment, especially in maybe the the least profitable or the the most sort of risky long-term areas of a, a business and that's exactly what we're seeing i think to to a large extent with some of these layoffs and um and yeah and sustainable growth expectations falling off of 2021 um i'm interested in uh the point about uh apple and, and idfa and and the like squaring that with works um work in creative and creative effectiveness and one of the things that we've said and then brian certainly said over the years is that you know good creative probably you know much more impactful than extra data in that sense um what are your what are your thoughts on that yeah well as usual it would surprise you to to hear that i agree with brian's view on that um and indeed at warp we have a product called the help of creativity um which uh its whole purpose is to link um Campaigns that have performed well uh, in creative awards with uh, with their performance effectiveness awards to prove that that that, uh, that link and, and to show that there is a, um, a causation there, not just a correlation. So um, yes, it's it's definitely a, a theory I've subscribed to. It's something that we are trying to um, uh, try to, to to measure on an ongoing basis. Um, yeah, I. Have- I have two questions on the, the effectiveness issue. The first is, if we don't save the world from ineffective advertising, will we need to move to Mars? And the second question is, if uh, uh, you know, I've always noted that uh, just because a medium is effective or just because creative is effective, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that advertising dollars follow. The two are not necessarily related at all. That, that, now that creates opportunities for individual advertisers to focus on what's effective 
empirically, but the reality is that, you know, take radio, underinvested medium, probably outdoor, probably an underinvested medium, but TV and digital, for a bunch of reasons, are the dominant media for most advertisers. I'm curious if there are any anomalies of that nature that have stood out to you, whether it's a, for the UK or elsewhere, where you see a gap between effectiveness and um, client preference, marketer preferences. Um, well, on, on your first point, I admire your optimism in, in thinking that there won't be ineffective advertising on Mars. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that that will happen one day. And then we'll, well Elon Musk will day. control Mars, so there won't be any advertising. So, <laughs> so yeah, the ratio of dad jokes on this show is going to go down hugely <laughs> once, you're, <laughs> once you're no longer the, the constant co-host. <laughs> to, to your point about um, disparity between effectiveness and investment, um, Walk ran a, a, an analysis of this as part of our Global Adrian series uh, last year, I believe it was, started last year, looking at what we call the investment gap. So effectively identifying um, media and formats that were um, under-invested based on our data in terms of their actual reach and impact. Um, and yes, audio came out top of that part quite, quite consistently. Um, regardless of the, the the product sector or the, uh, the the country that you were monitoring, um, particularly online formats such as podcasts, um, I think there's an understanding. I think you can understand why that is. It's still a relatively nascent format. Um, it's coming out of experimental budgets. It's not part of the main media buys in most cases. Um, but obviously, the audience uh, has an affinity with the content and the uh, and the hosts, you know, present company included. So you can understand why. Um, that can be a very effective advertising medium. Um, but even traditional radio as well, um, we see consistently is underinvested in, in terms of the effectiveness it can have, not just as a lead channel, but as a supporting channel for TV campaigns um, and other media as well. So, um, you know, media mix modeling is a whole different area that we probably won't get into today. Um, but I think companies are, are getting smarter about how to attribute um, in, in these terms. And I think that can only lead to um to better valuation of, of different media types in the future any uh and on a, a fun one any data set you'd love to see or or something you uh you analyzed just for the heck of it that had nothing to do <laughs> to do with the advertising revenue or spend No, I live in brief advertising revenue and spend. <laughs> I know no other language. I have become so institutionalized that even in my spare time, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the influence of market is going to be worth next year. And, um, but it's true. I mean, it, it is a, it is a passion uh, for me. And, and I think we're all guided by that drive to want to understand the world better um, and, and, and to want to ensure that there is factual information for people to draw decisions from. You know, we live in the information age. Um, there has never been more data available um, than, than right now this second and, and obviously with that can become great empowerment but obviously on the flip side of that there can come um, a greater opportunity for misinterpretation of that data or for bad data. There's a saying in, in, in data science circles that um, garbage in garbage out you know that's a, that's a clean version at least but effectively if you're putting bad numbers into your modeling then you're building a house on sand right um, so I think um, I know that I'm driven by the pursuit of ensuring that uh, our industry has the most reliable information possible to ensure that they can make the best business decisions um, available. Very uncreative answer. I, sh I should have said No, no, no. We yeah. all but we it was all effective as an yeah. answer. That was the critical thing. <laughs> 
it's so lovely to to have you and to um you know have a, a kindred spirit in the pursuit of um data integrity and authenticity so thanks for joining thanks. us thank you for having me absolute pleasure well, that was great. Uh, this is now usually the time where I'd ask you what you're excited for next week. Does that involve uh, you know little drink umbrellas somewhere on a, a sunny beach somewhere? Uh, maybe after that conversation, I'm thinking I need to set up a beach on Mars because I mean, like it's just an untapped terrain for advertising effectiveness. There's no one doing work on that. If no, does that make sense as a business plan? Maybe that's what I'll finally do. I'm gonna go pursue those crazy business ideas we've been talking about all year long. There you go. You suddenly see an image from the Mars rover and it's uh, looking at a billboard on Mars. We'll know it was you. It's pretty effective. You see a Chinese flag or an American flag or whatever, it's branding. Effective <laughs> advertising is on Mars. So I'm sorry, James, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's too late to form that business now. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, we also have a number of companies reporting, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, we have Alphabet and Meta and uh, Samsung and Ford. We mean so many more, more than I can really uh, mention here. Spotify, it's uh, it's everyone. So um, we'll be definitely following those. And uh, who who says we, my friend? We <laughs> <laughs> That means you. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to pay attention to that uh, we'll, we'll all be paying attention to very closely. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks. Uh, this is your final sign off and uh, everyone else, we'll, we'll see you next time. It's been fun. Thanks so much. This Week Next Week is hosted by me, Kate Scott Dawkins, and Brian Weezer. Our producer is Jared Bayman. Our showrunner is Sam Weston. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of Group M or its clients. If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com. <laughs>